next on Whatever the Weather. This is Max Armstrong, co-host and co-founder of This Week in Agribusiness, longtime farm broadcaster. I host a couple of local radio shows, past president of the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. A grandfather, a father. <laughs> Meteorologist Tracy Butler talks with agribusiness expert Max Armstrong about how abandoned department stores are helping replace lost farmland, how farmers are using their tractors as offices thanks to GBS, and how cornfields um, pollinate right now on Whatever the Weather. Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome to Whatever the Weather. You know, we're filling these podcasts with weather-related topics, and longtime voice of WGN Radio, you hear him on This Week in Agribusiness, and the legendary... It might be stretching it Is a little. It? No, come on, Max Armstrong. I mean, I didn't even have to introduce him, and you people are hearing his voice, and I know you all know this man's voice. Max Armstrong. You know, my my mother grew up on a farm back in southwestern Pennsylvania. They were dairy farmers and uh, corn and rye and wheat. And so the agribusiness has a very soft spot and a special place in my heart. Ori and Samuelson and I are still partners over after 41 years uh, in a television show called This Week in Agribusiness. And we produce it every week in Batavia. Wow. And, uh, okay. And, and it's on... Oh, about 120 local television stations. We're on in Amarillo. We're on in Wichita. We're on in Cape Girardeau. And, and then on what is called the RFD channel, which is a satellite channel on DirecTV and Dish Network for farmers and ranchers. So that's what we do. I don't know if that's how that's possible. You look like you're 41. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I right, mean, you so. and Orion started when you were mere tots, obviously. We, yeah, yeah. I was, I was very fortunate you know, to go to work with him. I, I was, I think, at WGN at the time, I was the youngest there by uh, nine years or something like that. Is that so, right? Yeah, I was very, very lucky. What has spawned your passion in, in this field? The people, basically. I, and that's what it, it wasn't originally, but that's what it's become. Yeah, I, we have, after all of these years, you know, so many people on farms and ranches. You've been on their farms. Uh, I've got a visit set up going to a farmer in southern Wisconsin in about three weeks. Uh, it was set up by an advertising agency. Turns out I've been on his farm two other times over the years. Oh, my they didn't goodness. Know the agency didn't know it. The farmer, of course, pointed it out. But it's, it's those relationships, I think, that really motivate me to want to continue to do what I do. Well, you know, this past April was so cold mm -hmm. around a good part of the country and so dry. I don't remember a time when we didn't have a thunderstorm in the month of April. How did that month impact local farmers? Well, in some instances, there really was too much moisture and they couldn't get into the fields. Mm -hmm. uh, the cool weather was a little bit of concern at the moment, especially with the early seed that went in. But then, you know, we saw temperatures warming up and, and especially we saw fields drying to allow farmers to get in. That was, that was the challenge. When you got out away from Chicago in spots, the fields were still too wet. By about the third week of April, farmers like to be planting in, right. in this part of the Midwest, in this northern Illinois corridor especially, even maybe the second week of April. They try to plant early so that that critical pollination period of the corn crop doesn't hit later in the summer in the intense heat of summer. That's the... Uh, that's. <clears throat> That's when there's sex in the cornfield. Oh, oh my. Yeah, I, yeah, it's yeah. not that kind of podcast, <laughs> it's, Matt. It's, 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 uh, <laughs> I love it. The pollen falls from the tassel. Uh, you want me to diagram this for you? The pollen falls from the tassel onto the silk, and that creates the developing kernels of corn. But if it's too hot in that time frame, 
it can sap the yield dramatically. So farmers want to plant as early as they possibly can. The start of the planting season this year was in fact delayed, but we have an amazing ability to catch up with the equipment we have today. So in May, you know, our May here in the Chicago area has been extraordinarily wet. What do we need Bring now? on the heat. Bring, Bring on, on the heat. Yeah, absolutely. And regular moisture. That's key too. Mm -hmm. But we really need the heat. And just a few days ago, I was on a farm in North Carolina. Uh, the farmer there grows corn, soybeans, tobacco, pickles, produces pigs, feeds turkeys. It's not a small farm. It's a rather large operation, but he's quite diverse. And he pointed out the difference that the heat made on his farm. He, he had seen like heat come on about three days earlier. He said, I swear my corn has jumped 10 inches. Wow. Well, you know, I know that you've been, of course, uh, talking a lot about the farm bill, which mm -hmm. did not pass. Right, right. There's another vote, I understand, coming up in June. Is mm -hmm. that correct? And what does that mean? What did that vote of no mean for farmers? It's complex. Yes. It's, it's not in a nutshell. I know. Witness the fact that, you know, the thing went down in a no vote. The farm bill is much more than just farmers, but that's where their safety net is. That's the only thing that protects them. 10 years ago when we had a drought, if we had a drought, we remember the drought of 2012. Yes. But if you go back farther, back into the 80s, there was no crop insurance program really to protect farmers. Like 1988. Terrible drought year. Yes. What happened after that? And it, you have a great memory. Oh my, thank you. First weather is your business. You ought to remember. But, but you know what strikes me about that? Farmers all remember the drought years. 83 was bad. 88 was bad. And those stand out. But in 1988, there was no real good crop insurance program to protect farmers. So what happened after the fact was government paid out money to farmers to try to make them whole, to try to keep them in business. Now, farmers buy crop insurance to protect themselves, but the farm bill helps subsidize some of that insurance. It buys down the cost of that insurance that is written by private companies with which the farmers insure their crops. So crop insurance is a part of the farm bill, the forest service, firefighting money comes out of the farm bill. Wow. But 80% of the farm bill has nothing to do directly with agriculture. It's the SNAP program, we call it. Okay. What used to be called food stamps, Yes. the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, is about 80% of the dollars that go into the farm bill. So it's complex, and it, it means well, more than just farm programs, actually. Some people have suggested they ought to change the name of it. Some people have suggested that the SNAP program should be taken out of the farm bill. Mm -hmm. But the reason it was put in originally was so you could pass a farm bill. If lawmakers in Chicago, in, in the metropolitan area, who felt they had no clear tie to agriculture, were forced to vote on a farm bill without the SNAP program being a part of it, the fear was that the farm bill would always go down to defeat. Wow. And really, there, it's in the best interest of all of us long term to have a farm bill passed because it, in, it includes uh, agriculture research to meet the growing demands of our population. If we can't keep growing these crop yields because acreage is disappearing as cities sprawl, we're taking some of the best farmland. Southwest of Chicago down I-55 or out into the I-80 corridor. Look at those expansive warehouses. Yes covering hundreds and thousands of acres that used to be cropland. That's land that's taken out of production, will never ever be farmed again. So we have to keep these yields climbing and it takes agricultural research to do that. I recently saw you made a post about vegetables and things being grown in these malls that mm -hmm. have been closing <laughs> up. 
The shopping malls, in some instances, the old Sears stores, or the other department stores are being converted into something else. I mean, you have all of these vacant malls. So in a couple of instances, they've started to try to plant things. They're looking at maybe the possibility of using that space that might be torn down, but to see if they could actually cultivate fruit and vegetable crops in there in some way, shape, or form. Is that really a viable opportunity to take advantage of? I think it would be in some instances. I okay. mean, obviously, it's, it's going to be a piece of the puzzle. You right. Know, you know, in terms of expansive acreage, no, but every little bit counts, especially in the metropolitan areas. You know, you, you have companies that are growing vegetables in buildings now in Chicago and, and up on rooftops. And, yes. You know, you put it all together. It takes all of this uh, to feed the world. Organic is, is what a lot of people are embracing. They feel better, they say, by consuming organic production. But the bottom line is the world cannot afford to skew totally toward organic. I mean, we wouldn't have the food we'd need to feed the global population, which is growing so dramatically. That's the sobering thing. You know, we're adding like 10,000 people an hour to the world's populations. It's like uh, Pontiac, Illinois added to the population every right. hour. How do we better support family farms? And I know a lot of farms have been, you know, taken over by some, you know, corporations and such. But Not many. I think it's 95% of the farms in the United States are family farms. But what has happened, and that's, that's a long-standing misunderstanding, Tracy, it, uh, that, clearly. that corporate, corporations have taken over farms. It just isn't so. Farmers have incorporated, in some instances, family farmers have incorporated for tax purposes. But many of those family incorporated farms are a mother and father, a son and a daughter. I know a couple of sisters who run an operation in southern Illinois. They, they've taken over their dad's farm. I bet you a hundred bucks they're incorporated. Wow. But, but, but it's very much a family operation. And that's the case all over the United States. What do they need from us? They, they need exactly what you and I are doing at the moment. We're talking about understanding the farm. That is the number one thing that most of those farmers and ranchers will tell you is they want to be better understood by consumers. We have a term now, I'll lay this term on you, it's called advocacy. Advocacy, I, I put I like it in one it. of my tweets the other day because it relates to so much to what farmers in their 20s and 30s and early 40s mostly are doing today. They're trying to tell their story. They're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can see them working in the fields and they try to explain what they're doing. Uh, there are a bunch of them trying to connect with mommy bloggers in the Chicago area, especially foodies, right. to explain the realities of production to them. Because so many misconceptions have been fostered by celebrity chefs, by authors, by others who, for one reason or another, are putting what farmers and ranchers will point out is not necessarily an accurate story about food. Where can people follow you, find you? I want more people to follow you after this podcast. Well, I appreciate that. I'm on Twitter. It's Max Armstrong. Not Max Armstrong 1. That's Lance's son. <laughs> that little kid probably has a hundred gazillion <laughs> followers. You know? But uh, yeah, it's just Max Armstrong on Twitter. Yes. And that's a real good point. Where do you go, Where do you for, go? The, for the accurate story? And You know, there's a farm organization called Farm Bureau in, in every state in America, and they are very connected. Illinois Farm Bureau or Indiana Farm Bureau, Wisconsin Farm Bureau, Michigan has one. Every state in America, many people, when they buy their automobile insurance, actually become a part of Farm Bureau too, because they the insurance is sold through Indiana Farm Bureau Insurance in Indiana, country companies in Illinois. That's all a part of Farm Bureau. One program that they do that I highly recommend is called Ag in the Classroom. Oh. And they make teaching materials available. 
to grade school teachers, and it and it helps uh, not only teach math and science uh, and reading, but it does so with information about food and agriculture. You know, many people's exposure, I think, to maybe farming um, comes through 4-H. Yes. Comes through programs like that. You know, you go to the county fair. How do children, how do people get exposed more to 4-H, things like that? And do you still think there is an interest in that, especially from the ground level up? 4-H is very much alive and well, but the program has changed. It has tried to really adapt to the urban population, too. And it's still a very valid program, but in different avenues. It's not all about sowing and livestock and, and crop production, even though it may, may be in rural areas, but much of it is computer technology, and it really helps fill a void in the metropolitan area. So it's still a very good program. FFA, what we used to call Future Farmers of America, that's still an extremely viable program, and especially in the cities. There's a chapter in Chicago. Really? At the Chicago High School of Agricultural Science. I'm not sure if you're aware of it. I've heard of it's it. It's in the Mount Greenwood community. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, it's been around for 30 years. I emceed the grand opening of the Chicago High School of Ag Science in 1985. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And I remember that warm summer day being out there and what was the site of the last working farm in Chicago. And, and you can stand out behind that school now. And it's, it's a great location. Anybody in the Mount Greenwood community would tell you they love that school. Many of them will walk their dogs through the property and they go out there and they really enjoy it and protect it and, and help you know, right. the student body. But there is an FFA chapter. And the amazing thing is what happens to those students who come out of there. They all go into fantastic careers. Right. They're extremely well prepared. It's a magnet school, so it draws from all over the city. And many of those students have very lengthy commutes every day to get there and to go home. But they're preparing themselves so well for the future. Well, you have certainly seen farming, the agriculture business change with the times. What, what do you think has been, I don't know, one of the biggest things that's impacted you over time that you have seen happen? Well, it's hard to avoid the technology, of course, right. that is advancing this industry so dramatically. And many of our farmers in the state of Illinois, during this planting season, as they were going across the field, their hands were not on the steering wheel. They didn't need to be. If you go down the road, I want you to, as you travel down the roads of Illinois and Indiana and, sure. and the Midwest, I want you to look down the corn rows over the next few weeks. Okay. You will see that for the most part, with very few exceptions, they are absolutely straight as they can possibly be. Arrow straight. There's no deviance because the tractor was guided through the computer, through satellite technology, through GPS wow. technology that you're probably familiar with. That farmer now in that cab in many instances is using it as an office as he or she is going across that field. You know, I think I think when I think farming and I think of that, I think my, how my mother used to talk about threshing days and right. how they would have just the whole community would come out, you know, to get things together. And I think the sense of community, I, I think, is something that would be wonderful to try and rally around our farmers. And you know, that is probably something that some farmers would lament if you sit down and talk with them, Tracy. They feel maybe they're losing that sense of community a little bit. There isn't that tie between families. In many instances, you get into the plain states, 
and homesteads are gone. You go wow. many miles before you see a farmstead. I was talking with a buddy the other day who grew up in western Missouri. He said at one time on this straight arrow road that goes about nine miles, there were 42 families along that road. He said today there are about four. We don't need as many farmers now as the technology advances. That's why farms are getting larger. It's not because of big corporations, Campbell's Soup coming in to buy farms. They buy from the farmers yet. It's individual family farmers, but we have far fewer of them. And while we're at it, I would, I would be remiss if I didn't say something about sharing the roads with farmers. This is, we yes, really have a problem. Because people will get frustrated. I'll see people get behind a uh, large tractor. Yeah. Hey, these people are working. They're, they're working. You've got to be patient with them. It's easy to get frustrated because the machine is moving so slow. It's so expansive. On a narrow two-lane road, it'll take up most of the road. That farmer will, when he or she has the, the soonest opportunity, well, especially if they see the line behind them, will try to get off. But you can't park that thing just everywhere because it's, it's so large. Where we're really seeing a lot of trouble is with that farmer making a left-hand turn with that piece of equipment and a vehicle doesn't realize they don't see the turn signal on sure. the back. There's so many flashing lights. I think in some instances it's hard to pick up when that farmer turns on that turn signal. So they're trying to pass on the left mm -hmm. and they're colliding with the equipment. We had one of those not far out of Chicago earlier this spring, a terrible accident where the vehicle wedged right in under the back of the equipment. Uh, the farmer can get hurt too when, when equipment collides, but almost every farmer will tell you a horror story of trying to share the roads oh. with four-wheelers because we move so fast in our four-wheelers down the roads today. A good way to thank a farmer is just to slow down. It's so great that you were here. I just, I am honored by your presence well, here. I can't thank you enough. I appreciate it so much. I follow you all the time. Of course, I'm in town every week, so I tune in to see what's going on. Well, it's always nice because Max is one of those people who's usually up very early as well. <laughs> so I think that's how we bonded a what's, long time ago. Once you're messed up by an early early morning broadcast career, you're always messed up. Exactly. Just so you know, Tracy, when you retire someday, you're not going to get straight. Oh boy, that's something to look up. forward to then. Thanks, Max. All right. I adore this man. You can follow Max Armstrong on Twitter at Max Armstrong. We'll talk to you soon. You can find this and more podcasts like it at abc7chicago.com slash podcasts.